scripture reading this morning, we have two texts, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Before we read, um, please join me in prayer. Teach us your way, O Lord, as we listen to your word. Help us to understand your law and obey it with all our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Our first text is from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. You'll, it will seem a little familiar to you. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, not any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go, with, go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything belong that belongs to your neighbor. And then moving it toward the New Testament lesson, we have Matthew chapter 5. This may also be familiar to you. It's one of my favorites. Uh, this is verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we continue in our sermon series on the life-giving lineup, God's guidelines for the good life. We're looking at the Ten Commandments, not the most original idea in the world. It's been done many times before, but we're putting a little bit of a spin on it, like you might put on a baseball or a softball when you pitch it to the batter. The spin on it is that we are looking at the Ten Commandments through the lens of one of them. Number four, the Sabbath. And as we have been on this journey, we have, we've, we've introduced the Ten Commandments as God's guidelines for the good life. We've, we've looked at, last week, the four, first half of the Ten Commandments, known as the first table of the law, 
we looked at as the top of the order, the first four, having to do chiefly with loving God. Today, we do the same thing, but with the second half of the Ten Commandments. Those commandments more specifically have to do with loving our neighbor. And together, they form the second table of the law. Before we get into the teaching based on the scripture passages today, as is our tradition during the spring, we have a question for you to turn to your neighbor, two or three or four of you, right where you're sitting there, and also online, if you have someone with you, you can turn and share with them, or if not, you can share your response to this into the chat function of the YouTube live stream. Here's your question. When in your daily life would it be helpful to have a timeout? You know, that's the great thing about competitive sports is you might be out of timeouts, but, but you at least have timeouts at some point during the game. Sometimes a substitute can come in for you and give you some time on the bench to catch your breath. When in your daily life would it be really helpful to have a timeout? Turn and share with each other. All right. Well, let's, let's bring it back. Let's take a timeout from our discussions about timeouts. Uh, does anyone want to just shout out real quick when you could really use a timeout? Work. What was that? At work. At work. Okay. Timeout at work. Yeah. Yeah. Those long work shifts. Oh, yeah. Trying to fix your family's problems. Yeah, when those problems are there, uh, sometimes you just need to take a break. You just need to step away, and uh, yeah, maybe that becomes a prayer, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, Mary. Cooking dinner. Okay, that's, that's for Jack to know and for us to find out. <laughs> All right, well, hey, hey, you know what? There is, there is a kind of a, an easy button response to this, you know, where we just kind of say, yeah, we're worn out, we're tired. It's a particular time of day, particular time of week. Uh, but then other times, it's times w- that we know that, that we really are vulnerable to, like, say, our buttons getting pushed, if that expression means anything to you. And so we realize sometimes that, that in order to live a faithful life, it's that awareness of, of being able to step away in order to, to not step in something, if that makes sense. Okay, so think as, we're going to come back to this concept at the conclusion of the sermon. This idea of, of the time out that maybe refreshes us, gives us a break, allows us to catch our breath, to recuperate our strength, um, Kind of having the humility to allow for a sub to take our place on the field. A relief pitcher to come in and take over. Looking at the second half of the Ten Commandments, we are talking about this lineup that's very much like a baseball or a softball lineup, rather than the 
nine players out in the field. We have 10 in the Ten Commandments, so we include the designated hitter in that, in that list to make it uh, work well. But I want to propose to you that the second half of the Ten Commandments can be likened to utility players. So what do I mean by utility players? Utility players are those players who, who get the job done. They are fundamentally sound and usually are willing, talk about humility, willing to play in whatever position the manager or the coach wants them to play. I remember years ago, when I think about great utility players, I think of like the Seattle Mariners back in the glory days at the, in the first few years of this century. <laughs> Do you remember that? Now we're back into a new era, but, but the name Willie Bloomquist comes to mind. He was a local guy, and, uh, but was a person who you would, you would uh, uh, put into any position you could. You know, he was ready to play and, and give you his best. Very fundamentally sound, uh, worked on his craft, uh, was a real pro in that, uh, but not all about the glory, but very practical. That's what really utility means, useful. Utility players are useful to the effort of the team. Players who serve a practical purpose. The second half of the Ten Commandments, those commandments are utility. They are useful. They are useful for our relationships with others. Useful for living with others in community, in the church, in our families, and in society. And observing the Sabbath helps us to put those fundamentals into practice in our daily lives. And we'll talk about that and make a case for that. That the Sabbath, the commandment that precedes this list of utility commandments, useful commandments for relationships, that in a way, the table is set by the Sabbath commandment. Well, first, we take a look at Matthew 5.13. Karen, you mentioned that, that these verses from the Sermon on the Mount are some of your favorites. They're some of the most well-known in Jesus' teaching. Jesus speaks about salt and light and likens us to salt and light. That we are this, not that we might be or we might grow into it, but as followers of Jesus, we are this. We have this capacity. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. The salt that, that flavors things. The salt that is not so much about itself, but about what it enhances. What it brings forth and lifts out. What it preserves. But Jesus says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. What Jesus means there is it's no longer useful except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I guess that is a use, you know, like salting a road or something like that, but not, not the full range of the intended use of salt among the human community. So Jesus is bringing up a concept that, declaring that there's a capacity that we have that we might lose. 
And what we lose there is our usefulness to something. Perhaps it's our usefulness for loving others. Well, let's go right into the second table of the Ten Commandments. Commandments 5 through 10. Six commands. You see this in Deuteronomy 5, 16 to 21. Honor your father and mother as the Lord God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother. Practical, useful for living in a family, for living with a family relationship. Next, you shall not murder. Very practical. Very practical. Now, now most of us, I think pretty much, if you put it out for a referendum, how many people would, would be in favor of you shall not murder if, it, if you're the one who might be murdered? <laughs> Everyone is on board with that. But then if you say, okay, now we have to like not even think about murdering other people, like some of us would say, oh, well, I never think about that. Uh, we're going to talk about that later on in our sermon series and what Jesus has to say about that. And uh, so stay tuned on that one. But very practical. You shall not commit adultery. That's very helpful for a marriage. Very helpful. You shall not steal. Practical. Practical. Terrible things come from stealing. Whether it's, it's the type of stealing we're thinking of or maybe some of the more the more uh, intricate, more socially acceptable ways of, of stealing. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Very practical for relationships. And then you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. That sense of, of, of you know, kind of recognizing that jealousy, that longing for what someone else has. That may be even the root of our penchant for stealing, or just disordered desires that are fueled. Speaking of usefulness, the usefulness of these commands in our lives, in human community, in the Reformed theological tradition, John Calvin, who is the forefather of Presbyterians from the the, uh, Protestant Reformation in Switzerland, he had a doctrine of the three uses of God's law. And this is important for us as Presbyterian believers to understand that, that in our tradition, there are three different layers of usefulness of God's law. It's helpful to know that, 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 that usefulness is so much a part of our tradition. And this is why the law still matters to us, even on the other side of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So here's the first use of the law. And these are all ways of describing God's version of the good life. Because we're talking about morality. And morality is a term that, that kind of occasionally gets some bad press. But when you're talking about morality, you're really talking about the concept of goodness. What is good? So the first use of the law, including these commandments and especially focusing on this table of the law, is that it is a guide for public goodness. A guide for public goodness. This is for the civic good. John Calvin believed that that these laws are good for everybody. 
You know, having a command that says, you shall not murder, it doesn't matter what religion you are, whether you're an atheist, or whether you're the most faithful follower of Christ. Everyone benefits by not getting killed in anger by another human being. It's for everybody. And so this is where we get the the idea that this is a, a moral code or a code of goodness that can be applied to the full society. But it's not the only layer of the usefulness of the law. That's only the first layer. The second layer is this. It's a guide for personal goodness. Personal goodness is spoken of in Scripture with a term that is familiar with you. It's harder to define, though. Righteousness. Righteousness. Sometimes it's called justice, doing justice. And what it means is living the life that God intended us to live before it was bent by sin. But it's expressed as a sign of gratitude to God. This is how God would like us to live. This is what pleases God. So if we wonder, you know, how can we put our love of God that we talk about in the first half of the Ten Commandments into practice in daily life, well, we would follow these laws as a way of showing our love for God. Loving neighbor as self is an expression of loving God. And in the Heidelberg Catechism, the entire third section, which is the majority of the catechism, is all about how we can show our gratitude to God for our salvation in the way that we live with others. And right at the heart of that is an exposition of the Ten Commandments. So it's really important, though. It's at that point in the story not in the part of the story that's how we get to heaven, how we earn God's favor. Do we earn God's favor by being perfect in living God's law? No. In fact, that's the third use of God's law. And this is a guide to the necessity of God's grace. That's my term, and I've coined it. That's not exactly how John Calvin put it, but I I think it captures the essence. A guide to the necessity of God's grace. When we see this list and we look at it, we can't say that we followed it perfectly. (laughs) Every last one of us. This is where the Apostle Paul had the boldness to say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what do we do with that? Well, it just leads us to cast ourselves at the foot of the cross. We're we're gathered around the communion table, this testimony of God's grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It's for those who cannot follow God's way perfectly. But it holds within it this key to forgiveness, to being able to step up to the plate again after we struck out. And isn't that wonderful? That the law... Even in our frustration for not being able to obey it, it has usefulness that takes us right back to the throne of grace and to the embrace of grace. Well, let's go further into this law of loving people, being a shining light among neighbors. So this second table in the New Testament is spoken of in terms of Loving neighbors. 
Jesus completes his summary of the law that we read last week in Matthew 22 by extending the love of God to include love your neighbor as yourself. Neighbor in Greek is the word plesion. It's from a root that means proximity, close to, next to us. Generally, it is used to describe fellow human beings, but there is a a kind of a direct connection between neighbor and uh, one of my mentors in seminary taught me this, the person we can't avoid. Who is that for you? It definitely includes our families. It, It includes the people, look around, look to your right and your left, look around, no, seriously, look around. It includes them too. (laughs) You know, when you go to church, there's going to be other people there. But it includes the people in our neighborhood. But it also includes the people we rub shoulders with in the grocery store aisles. And much to my dismay, throwing me back to the third use of the law, it applies to people we drive among on the roads. (laughs) Lord, forgive me. Today, I think it's important to recognize this proximity is not only those we come into contact with, but those we are in communication with. Think about how with social media, it's so easy to have interaction, yes, in a positive, encouraging way, from across great distances with people we've never known before. Think about the comment section in your favorite social media platform. And yet we know how bad that can go, too. Proximity, neighboring. We should also note that we're not the first ones to connect love of neighbor with the second half of the Ten Commandments. If you go to Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, you read that the Apostle Paul links the second table of the Ten Commandments with love of neighbor, explicitly mentioning four of the final five and saying that whoever loves others by keeping those commandments... Loving others by keeping those commandments has fulfilled the purpose of the law. And there, he writes, love does no harm to a neighbor. So there's already neighbors in the Ten Commandments, did you notice? The the final two Commandments speak of neighbors. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Love does no harm to a neighbor. But friends, I think we're learning something about the Sabbath in all of the repeated readings of the verses in Deuteronomy 5. And some of you are saying, you know what, it seems like there was a mention of neighbors before Neighbors were mentioned. Neighbors are implied already in the Sabbath commandment. It's in this phrase, neither you nor blank shall do any work. For one purpose, so that they may rest as you do. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner 
That is uh, the word, Hebrew word there is ger. In the New Testament, uh, we uh, refer to that as stranger. This is someone who, who you don't have family ties with, who according to human civilization probably can be, there can be kind of ethical uh, twisting to, to allow you to oppress this person. They're not a part of your family. They're not a part of your tribe. No. Have to allow them to rest too so that they may rest as you do. A case could be made that the first love your neighbor command in the Ten Commandments is don't make others work so you can rest. Or don't deprive others of their weekly rest. This is important for people of means, people who maybe run their own businesses and employ other people. It's really important because in our society, we've grown into this kind of transactional, you know, worth and identity, right? This sense, and some of you know this because you feel this way in your relationship with your employer, that somehow because your employer compensates you, that they own you. And when a Christian is a supervisor or runs a business, a Christian has to recognize, no, you don't own your employees, those who serve, servants, those who serve the mission or the purpose of your business, they get their day off, their day of rest, just as you do. And it's not like you get yours and then you make other people work really hard so that you can have your rest, so that I can go to my condo over here or I can go fly to, to, uh, to Mexico or something like that. I'm going to keep people working really hard and never get a day off. We're breaking the commandment. We're not loving our neighbor if that's the case. One of the most amazing things, and this, I have to say it, uh, because uh, whether you, and, and it, it pains me to say this because some of you know I'm a plant-based eater. Uh, so they don't have a lot on their menu that I actually can eat. Uh, but I'm talking about Chick-fil-A. You guys all know that Chick-fil-A is not open on Sundays. Uh, and, it's, and it's for the, kind of, it's the, the, the decision of the ownership based on their interpretation of this commandment. But it also, it isn't just, hey, we're going to take this off and have other people work. It's, nope, we're all going to take it off. Everyone gets this day off. And, and I think it's, it's something to, to think about, that even in this day and age, when the world is oriented around other values uh, so often, that it's just an intriguing thing to think about that particular thing. Uh, even though Pastor Kirk can't eat too much at it. I think the, I got the fries, and they've got a little kale salad. So, <laughs> Anyway, Deuteronomy uh, 5.15. In the Ten Commandments, there is this beginning of this sense of empathy, identification with the thoughts and the feelings of other people based on your own experience, based on what it feels like when you're in their shoes. And this happens throughout the Old Testament with God talking to God's people with this phrase, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That's to us as well. That's part of our common heritage that we have known what it means to be oppressed and to never get rest. And so, out of empathy, we 
love our neighbor by not oppressing them and not depriving them of their rest. So that's a specific direct benefit to our neighbor of these commandments. But there's also an indirect benefit is that your light might lead others to God. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine in front of others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, whether it arrives via a wall-mounted switch connected to the electrical grid or the on-off mechanism of a battery-powered flashlight, when light shines in the darkness, it makes a difference. And it makes a difference for the good. As it illumines the area around it, it becomes, get this, a servant of sight. Light becomes a servant of sight. It's less about the light itself and more about what people can see by its radiance. When we let our, shine, our light shine in our love of neighbors, they can see God more clearly. But Jesus' words come with a warning. Light can be covered up. It can be diminished in its impact. Just as salt can lose its useful properties, light and the light of our love for others can grow dim as we wear down. And so we need a recharge. We need a regular timeout for loving others in relationship. And friends, that is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a charging station for our love of neighbor. It empowers us, gives us strength to love, to use a phrase that was the title of one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s great sermons. John Mark Comer, in his teaching on Sabbath, shares the example from his own life of just how hard it is to love others when he's tired and worn out. Think about how that's true for you. I found that to be true for me. Sabbath is a weekly reset, not only of our stores of energy, but also it allows us to, to kind of jettison the buildup of anxiety so that we can encounter situations and people with a fresh set of eyes, with a fresh heart. Peter Scazzaro's observation uh, in his books about unhealthy spirituality were born of him seeing in his own life as a pastor, and I identify with this too, and, and also in the life of people in his congregation, that they were so busy with activity and never allowing for a recharge. And, and the love of neighbor within the church started to suffer. And that's why the Sabbath is at the center of our rule of life. Emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally healthy relationships require a regular recharge. So, a final illustration for you. We've talked a lot about sports in this series. And some of us are involved in sports by actually playing them, some by watching them. But a great many people in our world today, especially among younger generations, engage with sports through a screen on a video game. 
Recently, I noticed, I was watching the NBA playoffs, and I noticed a television advertisement for it as I was watching, just plain old television, watching a basketball game, but the slogan for this advertisement is, playoff mode is engaged. And it had a bunch of cool graphics that were put on the screen. And it was like, oh, they're speaking to me in video game language. Video games, sport video games are huge. And have been so for quite a while. When my girls were in elementary school, it goes back a ways, there was a video game for kids called Backyard Baseball. That was a huge hit. A huge hit in our family because what it meant is there were these major leaguers like Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, who were uh, cartoon figures like they were kids. Like Ken Griffey Jr. had a backwards baseball hat as he was known to, to wear. And just a cute little cartoon kid. But then there were other kids from the neighborhood, just random kids. Anna Del Vecchio was one of the names. And, and just... It was so fun. There were boy players. There were girl players. My two girls loved playing backyard baseball. Uh, one of the cool kind of Easter eggs or special things about, about that game was that the smallest player named Pablo Sanchez was the most powerful hitter and almost guaranteed to hit a home run. <laughs> Epic status. If you Google Pablo Sanchez, you're going to find out about him. Very popular. But like most video games, and here's the point, you can see all of the utility aspects of each player. You know, how good of a thrower they are, how, how good of a batter they are. Do they hit with power? Do they hit for average? But they also have a power gauge. A reading on their energy level, which if it's higher, they live up to their potential utility. But if it's lower, and if, especially if it gets into the red, watch out. If your pitcher energy level gets into the red, you better be ready for some Pablo Sanchez home runs. Because when that gauge goes down, things can get ugly. It's time for relief. It's time for a timeout. It's time for a recharge of fresh energy. So think back to that opening question. When in your daily life would it be helpful to have a timeout? One of the responses that God has given as an answer to that question, looking out for us, is the Sabbath day, once a week. There are times we need that time out to recharge so we can live up to our full potential of loving our neighbor as God has invited us to. That's what Sabbath rest is all about. It provides renewed energy and insight that allows us to return to regular life and put the fundamentals of loving others into practice. So let the Sabbath recharge your light so it can shine bright. Amen.